glorious astral projection hybridization conversation. Yes, I want to I want to put out the intention for giving out information to go inward so that you can go infinitely outward. Copy that. All right, I'm going to set the tone, all right? Okay. All right, let's do this. Mm. Thank you, brother. Can we begin with what is astral projection? Ooh. Who would like to start? Well, what here? What I've heard is basically traveling outside your own body during a sleep cycle. That's kind of the gist of what I know. Uh, oh yeah. But for me, I think I think it definitely starts with definitely being aware that you're dreaming, and that's something that uh, something I've been working on. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of that's my take on it. I actually have some books by that I can talk about that I've read very various various people who uh, kind of put out some really good information um, but yes yeah it's it, it is projecting your consciousness to explore things beyond the body um, the uh, the concept of which has evolved over time but it's not something super brand new obviously um, you know in a previous discussion Grayson we had talked about lucid dreaming I think you were yeah. Sorry, lucid dreaming. Yeah, so we talked about lucid dreaming beforehand and you know, lucid dreaming and astral projection both kind of get talked about as they're somewhat similar but not quite the same. I wanna start off with the distinction since we did have an episode of lucid dreaming, that lucid dreaming, you are, you are in an altered state of awareness. You are in your dream, but the experience and what you interact with is purely in your own internal subjective dream world. Um, we had made some mention that, um, we had made some mention that, um, you, there is, there has been some research, very, very, very light research and it's all anecdotal evidence that sometimes can in, intend to meet others in the dream world, that there was experiments where advanced lucid dreamers would try to synchronize their, their clocks, their dreaming schedules to like go into this deep state to go to lucid dreaming, meet each other. And there's been some very little success. Normally they will both report a dream with very, very similar themes, but they almost never quite interact. Astral projection, however, you are, and this is just based off of my understanding, my research, you are in the astral realm. You are in the astral realm. It is not the dream world. And you can encounter things that do not originate within your dream world, that do not originate in your subconscious. So um, what is the quote unquote astral realm? Well, um, there is the, the metaphysical spiritual definition of it, which, are, which is another plane of existence that your consciousness dwells where it's more spirit matter. Things are more thought responsive. Um, and as you, you know, raise your vibration, experience and what, what's around you becomes less and less quote unquote dense, things become a lot more flexible. And there's these, there's these higher levels or octaves, like octaves on, on an instrument, like, like a piano. Now, I'm not super <laughs> well versed in what um, the, the mystical Eastern side defines as astral projection. You know, they talk about there are seven realms, there are seven astral dimensions. And, uh, you know, the, the seventh being the, the highest vibration that, you, that a human being can achieve where you merge with God consciousness. 
And there's like these different degradations. They have their own names, their own gate. There's our gatekeepers that that are you know guarding these realms. It, it, it gets very dogmatic and thick. Um, and you know, there, I, I do give some credence to that. But what I have found um, a bit more useful for my own personal understanding and digestion is sort of uh, North America's modern take on astral projection. Um, one of the pioneers, the one that kind of really brought astral projection more into the American thought and modern day thinking uh, is Robert A. Monroe. Um, Robert Monroe, he passed away, I think in 1996, but during the 70s, he found himself spontaneously popping out of his body. And just kind of give some back history of Robert Monroe. Robert Monroe was a audio engineer. He ran a radio station, he ran several radio stations, and his specialty was audio engineering. Around the age of 42, he just started spontaneously popping out of his body. And he thought he was going insane. Like he went to doctors, you know, he went to uh, psychologists. He's like, am I going insane? Am I losing my mind? He got a clean bill of health from everyone, but he did have a doctor friend who was like, hey, you know what? You kind of sounds like maybe you're doing this astral projection. And he's like, what is that? So we did some research, kind of figured, okay, well, maybe this is the case. And uh, he started taking a more experimental approach to it. What I really appreciate about Robert Monroe is that he, he grew up atheist. He didn't have a religious background. And as he um, took advantage of his spontaneous numerous projections, he actually, he was one that coined the term OBE or out of body experience. He ended up writing a trilogy he ended, up right, he ended up forming the uh, Robert Monroe Institute, where for several decades, they've been researching out-of-body experience phenomena. Okay, yeah. Um, he created his own terminology, right? He created his own map, system of mapping, and he kind of went from there. So his take is that um, you, you do go into this altered state of awareness, and from there, you can sort of pop out of your body and visit these different realms. Now, uh, from his experience, he found that the very first level that you find yourself when you first pop out of your body is you can call it the base astral realm, the lowest vibration. And this realm is near, it's basically a mirror of physical reality. It's very similar. He was actually able to, in his very early testing, he would do experiments where he would pop out of his body, fly over to his friend's house, look at his friend's alarm clock and see what he was doing, and then the next day he would call his friends saying, hey, so-and-so, were you doing this at this time? And they'd be like, how did you know that? Were you spying on me? And he's like, oh, no, 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 and give some excuse or whatever. There was another time where he visited another friend and once again, checked out their clock and then poked really hard with his astral body, their, their, their form, and it caused a reaction. Like the guy like, oh, like jolted back, like almost feel like he got hit with a rubber band or something. Sure enough, called his friend, was able to confirm, and that, that, that's one of many stories that people have been able to sort of experiment with astral projection. So that, you know, th those little anecdotal stories alone sort of divides lucid dreaming apart from astral projection. In astral projection, you have the ability to explore these, this base level astral realm, which is in a way a mirror of physical reality. Yes. Are we good? You guys hear me all right? So just really quick to bridge a gap for me that I have a question. With astral projection, that's essentially going outside of your body with lucid dreaming, that's you being aware that you're dreaming and being able to take control, correct? Yes. Okay, and kind of loose, is lucid dreaming kind of the beginning of astral projection is kind of taking steps in that direction or is it, would you consider it something different than that? Yeah, so 
when you are in the dreaming state, you are in your personal subconscious dream realm. And it's, it's actually a known technique to pop into a state of astral projection from your lucid dream. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Thank you. Yeah. So you can do that. I don't, I don't hear, so, um, and you can actually kind of flip flop back and forth. It depends. It depends on like how concentrated you are and what your intention is. Um, but yeah, uh, some people can pop into astral projection from lucid dreaming. That, that's their preferred methodology. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Cool. And um, to, to kind of give some more left brain series credits into this, <clears throat> our military knew about this. You know, our military had for many decades, and who, who's to say they still aren't still funding this, funded uh, our own PSYOPs division. When we were researching, you know, the paranormal and the supernatural and supposed psychics, um, you know, there, there is a man by the name of, uh, and of course, I'm going to have to Google it because I don't, don't remember names very well. Um, let's see. There was a man who was recruited by our government to recruit and train uh, a secret PSYOPs division. Let's see, a PSYOPs, oh, what is his name? Oh, no, 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 no. He, they, he, was, he was an expert at actual projection, but what, what they termed it, let's see, Ed, no. Remote viewing? Remote viewing, yes. Remote. Uh, Dreamwalkers, was that the name of the program? I believe so. PSYOPs, okay. remote viewing. Well, you know what? I have a book here. Greatest book ever, by the way, if you guys can read the title. Sorry. Future of the Body? This book it's it's not even it's just like glossary dude you go in and you it like gives a brief like kind of like what's going on but then you can go through and it literally will tell you exactly where to find it and what books to look up like it's just a it's it's amazing this is kind of like this is before the internet type thing um let me see oh. if i can find here. yeah this book thank um, you paper google so what thank you paper google paper google yeah <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if I yes. what looking for, Lee. It might be in here. This is uh, it's like I is is remote viewing. Is it considered a technology? Uh, no, it's a technique. Remote viewing is a it's a it's a form of astral projection. <clears throat> what remote remote remote, uh, remote so remote viewing is essentially these slabs members would put themselves in altered consciousness, where they could then project their consciousness <clears throat> and view different parts of the world. They would, what made them fascinating is they could, they could think of um, coordinates, longitude, longitude, latitude. They would just, they would just be given a sequence of numbers. They would concentrate on that, on that numbers. And then they would be able to give imagery of what they were seeing. Um, what, what impressed me is that there were a couple of instances where our military used their data quite successfully, especially during the Cold War. One story specifically, one story specifically there was a secret Russian nuclear, uh, nuclear production plant that our spy satellites could not locate, but the PSYOPs could precisely to the latitude and longitude. They were able to find this hidden uh, Russian nuclear lab and then give that intel to our, to our troops, which they, could then, which they were able to then use to spot this, this uh, uh, to spot this secret Russian lab. So yeah, their, their data, I mean, their, their techniques or skills were used, but the thing was it, was, it was a bit hit and miss. And towards the end, they had to disband it officially, according to, according to our government, um, because they were starting to, they were starting to hit a, uh, Ed Dames, that's his name. Ed, Do you want a screen share? 
Yeah, give me one second. I'm gonna Ingo Swan. That's that's the name of the other one. Aha. All right. So Ingo Douglas Swan. Um Swan was as it was a claimed psychic who called himself a consciousness researcher. So sometimes sometimes experienced all of consciousness. He said, I don't get tested, blah blah blah. Uh, remote viewing. So Swan researched the process of remote viewing at the Stanford Research Institute and experiments that caught the attention of the CIA. And he's commonly credited with proposing the idea of controlled remote viewing, a process in which viewers could view a location given nothing but its geographical coordinates, which was developed and tested by Puthoff and Targ with CIA funding. Oh, dude. Yes, I have that here. I'm sorry Topics now. Oh, you're fine. It's now considered pseudoscience. Yeah, Targ and Puthoff. Puthoff. Yeah. Seventy-seven. Yeah, anyway, I want to read you. Anyway, we're on the exact same page. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, no, no. Good timing. Sorry. Yeah, so this kind of goes a bit into the history. Of course, it's Wikipedia, so it's going to give just, you know, broad general information, all that jazz. Um, but that led to the recruitment of Edger, uh, Major Ed Dames, who then, who then um, spearheaded Stargate, Stargate Project. This was an official military project back in the day uh, where they, you know, recruited these remote viewers to acquire information. It was for secret intelligence reporting. They had some level of success, but it wasn't consistent enough. And I think as technology got better, we sort of just pushed it aside and got into more advanced like satellite technology probably. Um, but it, it's fascinating. There, there, was enough, there was enough data collected. There were enough examples of successes that you couldn't completely discredit what this remote viewing project was. Uh, you know, the, in, in terms of how this t all ties into like astral projection. So um, yeah, that was a little bit of backstory about how our military got involved, but going back to Robert Monroe, Robert Monroe did his own research, did his own testing. He, he was the one, now have you guys ever heard of binarial beats? Yeah, yeah. Robert Monroe was the inventor. No shit. He was, yeah, he was the one with his background in audio engineering what he had found, because the man was scientific, he was brilliant. He had found that you can only astral project when you are at a certain state of awareness. And awareness, honestly, in human consciousness can be measured through just hertz, cycles per second, your brain waves, your, your, brain, your brain functions uh, in, in frequency, right? You, we, have, we have the different stages of, uh, let's see, I, I'll pull up another thing and share my screen again, brain wave frequencies by the way while he's looking it up have you guys ever done a float tank and had the binaural beats playing inside of the water i want to i'm sure oh, that that's a that, great idea that would pop there's, you into an obe there's a place in ben that does that be cool Pretty oh cool. man i yeah. would be super into that we will we take a real go i'm totally down to do yes you will take a real once it opens up we'll go there if it's still open i'm a thousand percent down that cool. sounds like super fun Okay, cool, here we go. Here we go. All right. So um, I kind of briefly mentioned this before, Tyler, uh, Tyler, in our previous episode of Lucid Dreaming, but here is brainwave activity. We have these different stages of awakeness. Now, for the majority of time, when you're awake and you're just, you know, doing your day-to-day -day activities, we're in the beta, beta range, which is between 15 to 32. Some graphs say up to 55 hertz. Um, but the more critically you're thinking, the more you're like, oh, like processing stuff, the higher this goes. So, you know, uh, beta, you're awake, you're alert, consciousness, thinking, excitement, gamma, heightened perception, learning, problem solving tasks, cognitive processing. Maybe this is the flow state. Maybe you're just like super in sync. 
when you are doing deep breathing exercises or you're relaxing or you're just in nature, your, bra your brain waves kind of slow down a bit, you get into the alpha range, right? You're physically and mentally relaxed. And then when you start following sleep, there, there are the five stages of sleep, stage one through four, and the fifth one being REM, REM, rapid eye movement. Uh, you're, you're typically, you fluctuate between theta and delta. When you're in, when you get to like stage four, you're pretty much delta, like 0.5, like you're almost like brain dead. This is super deep sleeping. You're not, you, you don't have any type of egotistical cautious thinking, like that's all in the background. It might pick back up once you get back into REM stage. When you're in the REM stage, you can go all the way back up to beta but it usually fluctuates around there. So what he had found is that you obviously have to have your brain waves slowed down enough consciously, right? So some, so the, the ancient Eastern mythical, uh, the mystical thought process was you go through meditation, you, you know, you really you clear the mind. And what, what, they, what they had, you know, developed back then was just a conscious process that you could take on purposely slowing down your brain waves. When you're able to slow down your brain waves to a point that would increase your chances of, projecting your consciousness out of your body. So what, uh, what this genius Robert Monroe found out with binaural beats is that with a stereo pair of headphones, you could have two clear tones. A clear tone would be considered a sine wave. A sine wave right here, where I'm pointing with my mouse, a sine yep. wave is a perfect up and down. It's just a clear pitch, Boop. Like, like an acoustical instrument, just a, just a clear pitch. When you, when you play um, two clear pitches of slightly different, uh, slightly different hertz range, so one, one is like, let's say, uh, 57, and the other is 50, so they're just, they're just slightly off, and you're listening to it through headphones, what your brain does is it creates this third ghost tone, which is the subtraction between the left and the right pitches. So if you have 57 playing in one ear, and you have 50 in the other, you can, you can, you know, if you tune in and clear your mind, you can kind of hear the difference. Your brain would create a third tone, which is the difference. So seven hertz, seven hertz, which is in the theta range, which if you had calmed your mind enough, your own brain frequency, your own uh, hertz per cycles would start to match that third ghost tone. So in a way it would kind of expedite the process of getting someone who had like no classic training on meditation or astral projection, they could, they could easily get to the state where they could project a lot more easily. So once he kind of discovered that, you know, he started doing experiments with it. He had created these cool little boxes that these like little projection chambers, which was essentially like this very cozy air control, like this air control, like temperature, like cushioned coffin essentially where you could like seal off light and noise. So you can just get really relaxed, right? And then you would have the headsets on and then he, he, he played gentle music, quieting music gradually into the binaural beats. And he would have a, he'd have a microphone and a little speaker system. He, he could talk to his volunteers through the headset, lead them through a guided meditation, um, let the binaural beats do their job. And then he was able to have great success leading these people onto their own out-of-body experiences. And they would, they would, sometimes they could actually verbalize what they were experiencing. Sometimes they would just go silent because they were way deep into it. Sometimes they fall asleep. You know, it's kind of, a, you know, depending on the person's skill and their readiness, uh, you know, some were a lot more, some were able to pick it up quickly and could report numerous stories. A lot of books came out of uh, that, that um, line of experiment and it's, they're, they're, the Robert Monroe Institute is still up and running. They, they still, do these, still do these exercises and people have amazing experiences. What really uh, blew up in my mind is not long after I read the series, when I was down in Jacksonville, Florida, I actually just through 
just through a beautiful act of serendipity, I was reading, I was in Jackson, Florida. I read the newspaper about how there was like a seminar that was going to be hosted by um, the, at the time, the director of the Robert Monroe Institute. I was like, what the hell? I think I was like 19 or 20 at the time. I went, met the dude, really cool guy. He was like an ex-preacher. He's like, yeah, religion got me to a certain point, but I, I wanted to ask more. Got on the line with the, Robert, with the Robert Monroe Institute, eventually worked his way to become the director. He shared this story, which like totally blew my mind. When he was going through his own experience doing these, the, going through these testing pods and, uh, you know, binarial beats and those little cozy cosmic pods, whatever they're called, um, they would some, you know, they had experiences, they would come back as groups and they would tell stories. This one girl talked about how she went to this amazing city of light, this like giant metropolis where everything was made out of like shining crystal light. And she was just like, oh my gosh, it was so incredible. And, da, 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 da. and uh, this guy, he was so impressed by her, his, by her story. He was like, I want to go to the city of light. Could you take me? You know, kind of, kind of somewhat jokingly. And she's like, sure, sure enough, their next opportunity when they went back into the meditation chambers and all of a sudden, all of a sudden when he was in that like uh, deep sleep, uh, deep meditation state, he felt someone tap his shoulder. And it was that same girl who was floating, grabbed his astral hand and then like took him to, uh, took him to the city of light. No way. And yeah, took him to the city of light. They, they kind of like zoomed in and out, whatever. And at some point he just, they, they split past. Like she, she just disappeared and he was just there to explore on his own. When he came back, he was so excited. He's like, oh my gosh, you took me to the city of light. And she's like, yeah, I did. They both had the same exact story from frame rate to frame rate about how they both went to the city of light. And at that point he was convinced that this was something more than just having some crazy hallucination in your mind. What's how, did they, how did they prove that? Did they both like draw like similar building structures and whatnot made a light or did they have like, how did they prove that like it wasn't a story that was corroborated? You know? Oh yeah, that's a good point. Um, I can only, you know, because I was at this dude's seminar and he was talking about this stuff, I can only take his story, um, for its anecdotal value. Um, there, there have been other studies and like, once again, I don't have any of my citations up. Um, there have been more official stories. There, there, was, a one re there was one research study done where, um, okay, there are certain pieces of artwork where you can't see the cohesive image unless you're at a certain angle. You know how like you can see like certain wires or certain, certain pieces of, of uh, blocks arranged and then when you like walk around you're like oh this it, it, it's forming this right one of those like magic eye like magic eye yeah so to kind of test the ability uh or kind of to kind of test if, if the validity of, of astral projection one study i read i will look this up and i i will i will try to find this and and send you guys the link to this um but this you know they they had um a team of scientists they had um a research study set up to where they would have this huge illusionary art piece laid out along the ground. And the only way you could see the cohesive image of it is if you stood directly above it about 100 feet in the air or so. You'd be super high up. So at this point, this one specific point where you'd have to stand to look down, they had these two huge electromagnetic plates that could sense fluctuations of electromagnetic energy. Because their, their hypothesis was that your conscious energy, if you were projecting it, it's it's electromagnetic in nature, just just how we talked previously, Tyler. How Nazca lines, yeah, so, yeah, like yeah, a concept like the Nazca lines. Yeah. So um, the way they had the way they had done the study is, they had this guy next to a digital alarm clock. 
And his, his task was as soon as he uh, would pop out of his body, he would take a look at the digital clock, project his consciousness to that spot, look down and see this image that he's never seen before, and then pop back in. Before he pop back in, he look at the clock again and then sign off. So he did that, right? He remembered his times, was able to come back, report the image clearly in detail what it was, and gave, gave the time that he popped out of his body and back in. And when the time that he gave them, the scientists took a reading of the electromagnetic plate structure that was rigged. And sure enough, there was a fluctuation in that small window of time that he had popped out of his body and he got the image right. That was just like one experiment. And unfortunately, it's not a topic of research that mainstream science takes more seriously. I wish that we would. I wish we would do more and more experiments and more and more case studies. But it's once again, it's, it's in the realm of phenomena, right? Where there's enough data to, to show that it's not completely fake but there's not yeah. enough data to show that it's objectively real either. Um, so yeah, so these are little in and out examples of, of what it is and blah, blah, blah. Um, Robert Monroe, he over time had learned that when you are in the out of body state, you could through willpower or through consciousness tune your vibration. And what that basically meant was you could go into different layers of these different dimensions based on like, like the rate of your vibration. So as I said earlier, the base vibration in the astral realm is, is the mirror reality where everything is very similar to where you're physically at. You know, a lot of people that report sleep paralysis or small, small stories of out-of-body experiences report that they're, they're just in their room. Sometimes they fly out of their house and things look just about the same, but not quite the same. Things look a little out of place or whatever. It's that, that bizarre mirror reality. But as you raise your vibrations, that's when you start going into complete other different dimensions and realities and stuff like that. Um, Can I yeah. ask a question? Yeah. This reminds me a lot of the, Bo what is it, the Bordeaux Todal, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. They talk about the different levels for the afterlife. I'm seeing a lot of comparisons. Mm. It's funny because the book where it talks about astral projection actually brings that up in that chapter. I just saw it and I'd actually highlighted it. And I was funny, I was just reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead the other day, but um, I, think, I think it's fascinating. I, I think what you're talking about, I, I definitely think it's a real thing. I think it's fascinating. Um, uh, as far as like the binaural beats go, I'm sorry, were you not finished with your topic completely? Oh, no, oh, go it, for it. Okay, so with the binaural beats, what's interesting to me is you're making that third ghost tone, but what's also interesting to me is like, you know, with those headphones, they cancel out that waveform, so you get more crisp sound, you're not hearing like airplane noise and whatnot. I'm wondering if there's a way to cancel out like that brainwave itself to let it really go to a low state. So there's basically like no brainwave. So maybe that subconscious can really start to eke out a little bit. Um, and on that side note, I've had some weird, interesting stuff happen to me over the years and I'm starting to get the weird hinting feeling that maybe my subconscious is kind of already kind of running amok out there kind of doing this stuff without me and so i've been kind of like chasing that down for especially the last like six years or so but anyway kind of a little backstory but yeah i i uh i think the stuff you're talking Collaborate. about yeah so, Grayson, okay please okay so um <laughs> that means it's so. a good story that means it's got <laughs> yeah. some breath to it lee I, i'm loving this man like uh, one thing that just fascinates me about your style is that you string things together 
in such hmm. a logical fashion. Yeah. And I'm it's following like, along. Yeah. What's that, Grayson? Yeah. And it, cut out. I said he wrote a full book report and he's ready to rock. I'm just like, holy shit, it's just all in there. And it's so it's so hard for me to like, because I love to talk and to like, I'm like, oh, I know that. I know that. I really have to hold up pictures and shit because I don't want to interrupt <laughs> it, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but I don't want to break his train of thought. So my apologies, but your stuff's great, Lee. Um, oh, yeah. Thanks, so, guys. Yeah, dude. Dude, totally dig it. So as far as like the subconscious goes, kind of running amok and kind of what I've, I've noticed is that some of the past couple of years, I've had a couple of different relationships um, with different women. And what's interesting is there's always been some sort of like paranormal thing that's happened. Something simple as like, uh, like a book flying off a shelf or like a weird energy or something random happening. And I used to think like these kind of people were attracted to me and like I kind of would help them figure that out. I talked to one of my shaman buddies that I work with, Jordan, who's a really interesting guy. Um, but uh, we've had a lot of talks about this stuff. I just got him into the Tibetan Book of the Dead as well. But he had talked to me. He's basically like, maybe it's not these people you're bringing into your life. Maybe it's just you. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he told me that, and it's funny, we started having our conversations about astral projection. And I was reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead again. And it really kind of hit home that maybe like, there's definitely more going on under the surface with me that I'm really aware of. Um, I find a lot of times with, with my art and with music, there's stuff that kind of just gets pulled up that is not necessarily me in the present. It's just, I kind of get some music going and literally stuff just starts coming out. And sometimes I've had things like I told you about when I started work at my job and I had the, the visions of how things looked in there, like certain like electrical equipment. Did I tell you guys about that? You told me about that in a call prior to all this. Feel free and enlighten us. Oh, yeah. So for, so for six months before I got into my job, I was having these dreams about um, basically really strong, thick, uh, horizontal black lines. And behind it were um, stripes of these really thin lines of like blue and yellow and occasionally white lines. And so I kept seeing it over and over again. It was like this weird deja vu thing. I'd be sitting there thinking about it and I dream about it. And I'm what is this? And then I got to work at Google and they have this special rack system without getting, giving away too much like intellectual property. Essentially what it is, there's this black stuff called finger duck. And then there's these yellow and blue and white wires that literally run um, vertical behind that finger duct. And um, me seeing that, I, it's like, I knew I'd already been there. I knew I'd already been there. I knew I was, I was supposed to be there. And it was a very crazy time in my life. And for me to see that, that was something that I definitely um, needed to see. Um, but it also kind of showed me that, like, there's there's definitely more going on underneath the surface for me. And I really want to discover what that is, you know. And what's really interesting about us conversations, I really feel like now everything's kind of aligning for me to actually, like, take time to do that, especially in these sessions, to really think about that and kind of move forward through that so thank you thank you for that because it's a really good this is a good anchor point you know no I'm, I'm glad you shared that that honestly i i really wish you were part of the last conversation on lucid dreaming that kind of falls in line we were talking yeah. about the phenomena of prophetic dreams or yeah. the, or the the idea of deja vu i was telling tyler how i have one small minor superpower that for some weird reason whenever i would start dating someone new interestingly enough as a parallel this happens with like relationships too i didn't have cool stuff happen like like books flying off the shelves but i would have very early on in the dating experience i would have a very strange dream that would tell me how the relationship would end that's crazy like i elaborate 
Yeah. Um, I would. I like. I I dated this one girl named. I'm just gonna call her S in college, and I was really into her. I like just three or four days after we started kind of kind of like lightly dating and not quite official, but you know, obviously we're like courting each other. I had this dream where I saw her basically like her face warped and she became really crazy and erratic and ah, and like I saw hair falling out. I was like, what the fuck? And then yeah. a couple of weeks in the relationship told me she pulled off her hat. She's wearing a lot of hats, kind of like moved her hair aside and showed me that she suffered from, um, this this disorder where your hair falls out it's a type of autoimmune disorder and yeah. she also had a lot of inner rage problems why it didn't work out is because like when i touch a sensitive subject she blew the hell up on me i was like oh okay that's maybe what that dream was about um yeah. my very my very first girlfriend when i when i was living in asia um three months before two, like three months before i met her um I dreamt exactly how I lost my virginity, like almost in near detail. And I've never had sex before. It was fucking Whoa. bizarre. Yeah. So just weird shit like that. Um, strange, man. Yeah. This is the nature of reality and how I perceive, how I perceive shit. But um, I, okay. There was this one concept about, so what, what the astral reality might be in maybe, this is my, my my thoughts and my opinions this isn't proven obviously in scientific terms so we live we live in time space time space meaning we're able to um, measure time because we're in a spatial reference well there's this one theory that the astral realm is the inverse time space so space time it, yeah so we're in space time the fabric of space time and the inverse of that would be time space so instead of, so like I can physically move around within the space and you can, you can cut that down. We can measure time, but what you're, when you're in this inverse mo you, you don't move anywhere in terms of, there's no actual space, but you move through time. Like there, there have been different anecdotal, anecdotal stories I've collected where people talk about, you know, projecting out of their body and they'll be in their house. But it, I mentioned earlier how it looks kind of funky, right? Um, there'd be some stories where people would see furniture being arranged slightly different or furniture they don't even recognize. There was one instance where like a person was like, yeah, I saw, I was in my house at night and I was actually projecting, but I saw like this weird dresser and blah, 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 and da, 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 da. And she was talking to like um, someone who, who I guess was like her neighbor or whatever. And she's like, oh yeah, that sounds a lot like the layout of the furniture of the previous owner of this house. So she had somehow seen the previous layout of the house uh, for the previous owner that she didn't even know. She didn't even know that layout. So one thought could be that when you're in astral projection or whatever, you are essentially, um, you are in the invert, you are in time space. There's a really good picture that I want to show you guys. Yeah. Okay. So secret of the soul. This is by William Bullman. William Bullman, he also kind of works along, he kind of Gradually through his work of astral projection, he, uh, I think, I don't know if he still works at the Robert Monroe Institute, but he has been working there for quite some time. I don't know if he still is there, but he, um, he's written several books on the subject. He's also very, an experienced astral projection, projectionist himself, did a lot of great research, and um, let's see if I can, oh no. <laughs> cool. um, oh, that's gonna... deep... looking right through you. Whoa, oh, well. Okay. So the text is- We're uh, astral projecting right now. Yeah. Right. 
I am going to go into, um, okay, so can you guys see this? Yeah, here we go. You can see the text right way, right? It's readable. Yeah. Okay, so I am going to blow this. Let's see if I can make this bigger. It sucks because I can't. <clears throat> okay. Um, Tyler or Grayson, probably you, Tyler, since you're the host, I'm going to try to position this in a way that you can take a screenshot, okay? If you could. I've been screenshotting, but I can't get words from this. Okay. Thanks, Alexa. <laughs> so, um, oh, off. <laughs> he, he, this is kind of from what his explorations over his whole lifetime, he's kind of mapped out as this physical slash, this physical slash non-physical world. He uses the analogy of a, a fruit, like an apple. The very, very outside skin of the apple is physical reality. And the very, like when you puncture through the skin, the very, very thin layer of skin of the apple, right on the other side is the mirror slash lowest reality of the astral realm. And as you get closer and closer to the core of reality, you start going to these different levels. So from the Tibetan Book of the Dead, you could be going to these different planes of existence, these different dimensions. With Eastern yeah, mysticism, you know, you're going through this different several, there's like seven, there's like seven um, astral realms. And as you go through these different layers, these different vibrations, these different, the way that the analogy I like to use is um, like on a radio station, you know, radio station, you have what, 88.5 uh, megahertz per cycles, right? Yeah. All the way up to like 107.9. You are gradually increasing frequency and each radio station that you tune to has its own unique song playing, right? Its own unique, it's its own unique channel. So like in the astral reality, as you tune higher, just, just a slight fluctuation in your, in your vibration when you're in that altered state completely changes the landscape around you. And the higher, the higher your vibration is, um, the more crazy shit gets. <clears throat> when I say crazy, you know, referring back to like Eastern spiritual, spiritual texts, uh, like, like these different dimensions, things around you appear less and less physical. Things are a lot more thought responsive. Um, what I have found very fascinating about both Robert Monroe and William Bullman's work is that they've, they've been able to over time. Um, okay, here's another good picture. Uh, it's so weird trying to get this because I'm like reverse. So it's like not very intuitive. It's okay. I can't really read it. Oh, you can't? Okay. But you see this picture, right? Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, the different layers. Oh, that is yeah. Awesome. Uh, there's one layer range of vibrations, which both Robert Monroe, William Bullman, and other experienced Alice projectionists would call the heaven realm. The heaven realm, where the actual people that they knew, including William Bullman's mother, he visited his mother in the afterlife into whatever version of what she thought was heaven. Um, he found that there were there was these spaces where there's like a, there's like an Islamic heaven, there's a Christian heaven, there's a Jewish heaven, there's these different heavenly realms that <clears throat> people had created over time that exist with some type of solidity there, and but, people because of their belief system, because of their belief system would gravitate like like attracts like right. So you you hear these concepts like like attracts like or you attract what you are, which is the truth to some degree on the physical realm. But when you're in the astral realm, it happens instantaneously. Because there's, there's no there's no lag, right? Because you're 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 in the time space inverse, not space time, everybody's and everything's a lot more, huh? Everybody's beliefs are like a tuning fork, and they're all right in their own head, right? Yes. Yeah. And so that that's Seth one talks really... about this in the first book. 
boom. Yeah. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you brought them up. Yeah, all these different physical, uh, metaphysical teachers talk about how, yeah, we, everyone creates their own version of heaven. There's like all these different versions of heaven. Um, but even in the astral realm, there's still some levels of objectivity. On these lower, on these lower vibrational ranges of the astral world, where it's like thought responsive slash dream responsive, you can meet each other in the quote unquote afterlife. Uh, in these little pockets based off of your belief system, you know, Whoa. So he, he, he would come so deep. This, this gets crazy. So this is where Dude. a lot of people are gonna get lost. Like what? Blah, 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 blah. But oh, we, we, it could have been William Bullman's hallucination that he was talking to his mom, but she was able to relay a lot of information to him that only his mom would know, which still you can't prove because it could still, he knows his mom, obviously. Right. <clears throat> um, still it's, it's, it's strange stuff. He had found that um, when, you, when you think of something in the physical reality, you do manifest it on the, on the thought plane, on the astral realm, right? And actual manifestation in the physical reality is when you're able to um, keep thinking of it, you know, keep manifesting it in that space and be able to like vibrate it back, vibrate it down, down, down to the physical reality until it manifests in front of you. Um, there was this analogy brought in about how like that's kind of how Jesus was able to like take two fish and multiply it. As I, he understood these metaphysical dynamics. He could think of like a giant feast of fish in the thought realm and then vibrate its frequency down from the astral, finer, 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 until it boop, popped into physical reality. Um, yeah, really bizarre stuff. So That's a trip. Grayson's I, tuning in as we speak. He's, he's going into deep state nine. Uh, Who is? You are. Oh, man. Well, actually, I took a little bit of I took a little bit of mushrooms before we got started. Mm. So I'm, Hell yeah. yeah. Well done. A little yeah, a little microdose, a little microdose, just to kind of get the ball rolling. But, man, you're blowing my mind, dude. Blowing my mind. It's good stuff. Um, Lee, I, I want to hear some of your astral projection stories at this point. And oh, sure. Now we've gone from level one all the way up to level seven. And – there wasn't much clarity on what, what happens in between. It makes sense on a scale. So now we've seen the, the beginning and then we've seen the high point. Um, why, why is there seven realms? Uh, what's the significance there? And does that mean, like, is any of this tied to the idea of a super soul and yeah. how we could have multiple layers or connections? And if so, does that mean that we're all connected by seven degrees of uh, source? Or shock? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a great question. So I'm going to pull up an infographic of uh, what – so, yeah, just to give you a heads up, when I say that there are seven dimensions, this, that's based off of an old – um, Eastern thought or belief system. And I don't remember, I don't know if it was the Tibetans or if it was like the ancient, some, some yogi, I, I sound so ignorant right now. No, you're not. It's, 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 a, it's an old school Eastern theology. Um, you have these, these new school pioneers of out-of-body experiences, they had, found, they had found way beyond seven. There, I don't believe that there are specifically seven. There could be many, many more. I think why, uh, why seven pops up is because I think to some degree, there's a point where the human ego consciousness that's used to like three to three to four D realm of information just cannot bring back higher levels, higher dimensional energy or concepts back. It's just, 
it's just it's just like it doesn't translate that's my theory um I, I, fa I found um some good pictures well okay if you get string, go ahead if you get into string theory they talk about oh, yeah. they go um oh, i actually have the book right here they talk about you know we have first dimension which is just a single point second dimension which is going to be a line third dimension which is going to be like a square cube and then you get into fourth dimension which is time fifth dimension is kind of everything at once sixth dimension a little bit higher than you hit seven right once you hit seven like the last four dimensions are basically bundles of space time yeah and then you're like oh here we go yeah here we go here we go here we go yeah this is yeah yeah where we got uh three dimensions cube give me two seconds uh okay really opened up to the right give me a second zero dimension while you're while you're Go pulling ahead. that up, um, can you see this this picture on the screen? Yep. Got it? Yeah. So this this is a decent picture. You can count here seven levels: physical, the physical ethereal, the astral emotional, the causal mental, the akashic buddhic unity, the mental atmic spiritual, the messianic mon monadic divine, and then the buddhaic logoic monadic <laughs> source. Um, this is this is different terminology that I'm used to. Uh, and in the Eastern mysticism terminology, they have like, you know, I, I don't know if it's uh, Hindu or it's, it's some language I can't pronounce. They have, they have their own terminology for it. But I feel like this is a pretty, pretty good infographic of what this might be. So we have a course of physical plane. That's just us right here in 3D reality. And then the next level right above it, the intermediate plane, so this is like the low-level ash realm. This is the bizarro mirror realm. This is where you can still kind of, quote-unquote, fly around your house, fly around your neighborhood, fly around the world. You can see stuff. You can see people. You can, you can read the time and verify it for yourself because it's so damn close to physical reality. This is also where some, some people think, and I personally believe this is the case, where trapped soul aspects are people that have died and because of their belief system, because of trauma, because for other reasons, don't realize that they're dead, so that they're, so their energy sort of just hovers around here. So um, hence this is flying off of shelves, poltergeists. Yeah, poltergeists. This is this is polter, poltergeist reality, as well as um, this. Oh man, I'll, I'll have to find another good picture for this. But this is also where non oof, other there there are astral species, folks. This this part is real. This part Woo! is spooky. Don't that. Uh, we don't fully understand what they are. Um, sleep paralysis feeding. demons. They're feeding on us, are they? Huh? They're not feeding on us, are they? They are. Oh, stop. They can. It. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me, uh, this is a good image. There are many, many folk tales, even in, in, in like, especially Russia, there was a specific Russian term. It's like, it's like a folk of horror a folk horror story where they talk about this like weird um you know like like dead russian woman that like comes you know crouches on your body and sometimes will choke you or like Ugh. a lot of people there's a lot of stories online and just in general of people having experiences with sleep paralysis demons what these things are nobody really fucking knows there, there's a lot of theories out there some people believe that they're just like they're 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 a form of intelligence that just doesn't exist on our plane of existence, but can somehow still interact with us. They're like so a half point. They're like an in-between world type thing. Yeah. Have you ever it, experienced those things? Um. Yeah. Okay. I've, yeah, I've experienced yeah. some I got a story. Things. Yeah. 
One, one way I like to think of some of these creatures, not all, one way I like to think of some of these creatures is that they're like giant, like astral mosquitoes. They're just parasites. Like they're not good or bad. They just float around, see energy, like, oh, feed on it. And they're just doing their thing. They're, I don't think they have any ill will. They're just yeah. instinctual maybe on some level. Sometimes you'll encounter quote unquote demons, what that is and what that, that's a whole different conversation. But yeah, so that's kind of what you might find here. As you raise your vibration or turn your personal dialer of your radio frequency up, you start getting into these different gradations of, of the astral realm. And as you go up, um, for instance, like the causal mental here in the emotional astral, the emotional energy, our emotional spectrum is still very much tied. As you start to raise up higher, uh, some, some people that are very experienced, they describe how it's this, you don't experience emotion in the same way. And it's, it is purely mental. So like, in, like in this higher mental reality, this is where instant manifestation would happen. This is like almost being in a lucid dream where you could think about being in the city of light and bam, you're just there. You're just there yeah. in the city of light. Somewhere in this gray stage right here, where it's not quite in fully in the mental and it's not fully free from the intermediate re emotional realm, this is where in that graph I'd shown in this book where these quote unquote afterlife realms exist. These, I, I like to think of them as satellites. They're satellite, they're giant thought form satellites. What William Bullman has sort of discovered or his theory is that uh, as we form belief systems on earth, such as a Christian heaven, the more people that concentrate their imagination or energy towards something, it, what, so, yeah, as I was saying earlier, whatever you think of, whatever you think of will actually manifest instantaneously through string theory. I, 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 I time the concept of string theory on some higher dimension, it instantly manifests. And if it's just one person thinking one thing, there's just one point. But if multiple people, let's say hundreds of millions in a population, such as like Christianity, right? It's been around for 2000 years. If hundreds of millions of souls over 2000 years are focusing on this concept of, of, of Christian heaven, this suddenly becomes yeah. more solidified of a thought form. He had found that on some aspects of bit some torrent. realms, huh? It's a bit torrent. It's like a spiritual yeah. bit torrent. They put in all those way. points in place. It's like a little internet. It's a little nexus that'll basically be like a self flare. Yeah. Dude, that is crazy. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it, it's it's very bizarre. He crazy. found that that there, there are some some higher dimensions where he could like move. He could like dissolve and form things with his thoughts. Like it was just like thought responsive clouds. But whenever yeah. he would get to the quote unquote satellite slash heaven realm, he could not alter them with his thoughts. They were just that solid because so many souls have concentrated cool. their energy mm. over such a great span of time. Do you understand like that what this means? Okay, this is some crazy stuff. Like this is this. This means, this means L. Ron fucking Hubbard and his Scientology madness had through just his own deviant charisma created some but, fucking Scientology heaven. <laughs> you, but do you understand like what this also means for like simulation theory? Oh, and, yeah. Like, dude, oh my God. Like all these, so everyone that's like, if anyone's, you know, super Christian here, I apologize. But anyone that's like super Christian, it's all about it. Basically, they're creating this whole like network node and they're sending it out there and they're basically creating their own afterlife just by thinking about it uh -huh. and they're solidifying it and they're all oh my god which actually draws in compassion so through this lens through this style of understanding it doesn't matter what somebody believes as long as they're not hurting other people 
then isn't that serving them incredibly well? Isn't that serving any other soul that has a similar belief pattern or thought that they actually get those destinations? Seth talked about it as if you believe in Jesus, you're going to see Jesus. You're going to find heaven, right? If you believe in hell and you believe going there, you're going to find whatever the hell that looks like. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. Precisely. I'm more of a space, 2000 space odyssey is kind of like what I think happens after we die. Oh yeah. (laughs) The monolith and then like seeing the edge of the universe and all that stuff. Oh yeah. Going back into it and like kind of having this thing where like you go, you see it all, and then you kind of get folded into the universe and you kind of go, you kind of become all of it again. And the process restarts itself. It's an interesting. uh, So, okay. So, when when a soul when an entity a personality is operating at that high of a frequency right to where they're not in space time they're in time space therefore what they you know what you think you create you manifest it immediately so Mm. how does this relate to any one of us that are just walking around where some people are you know call it a master manifester right can draw in so much can move mountains so quickly can assemble can grow can scale can uh or or destruct right the the yin and the yang to this the the dark and the light but there's massive momentum yeah and uh sometimes it's cognizant and other times it's you know maybe on the the other than conscious levels how does all this kind of tie together for somebody that you know, either is living like that or knows somebody like that. Okay. So, so can I, can I um, elaborate and ask, are what you're describing is maybe synchronicity? Serendipity? I'm not sure because serendipity, um, I guess it depends how you define it. I, I'm just meaning like you're describing Jesus and hmm. Jesus being able to tap into that frequency the frequency of source, that highest level God, right? Mm-hmm. He said that he was fully human, fully man and fully God simultaneously, right? So then does that mean that he was just operating at that vibrational frequency and was able to then draw whatever into manifestation, including healing, right? Yeah. When you're that close to source, when you're that connected. Okay, yeah. So great question. Um, and you, you, may, you asked a question earlier about like the oversoul and things of that nature. So what Robert Monroe had eventually discovered through his adventures is that on some level, he, he was interacting with an intelligence. When he was perceptive enough and he was aware enough in his astral state, he was interacting with something far more intelligent than him. And this thing would sort of point him in certain directions for his adventures. And he would, he would over time piece together this very large comprehensive story. So for any of you listeners out there, if you, if you like listening to, if you like reading books, I highly recommend checking out Robert Monroe's trilogy. Um, well, I, you know, just, just to give it away, it's not too big of a, of a spoiler. He, he finds out that he's interacting with his higher self, which he actually, which he coined his future self or this self that, um, and this, this in a way does kind of tie back into the concept of, of these multi-realms. So, and, and different dimensions, whatever, string theory. Just as how there is a point of us in the physical realm, we are a projection. We don't just exist here and then exist here at some point or blah, 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 blah. We exist as one solid line, like one beam of light 
there is one aspect of us that's constantly in the seventh heaven realm, constantly. And when somebody is in alignment, when somebody is in tune, they're abusing their free will to align with that beam of light, to align with their entire full spectrum self. Your, your, high, your higher self slash future self slash advanced self, which is, this is where we are projected from, right? This is, this is it, goes, it goes from here to here, not from here to there. Uh, it, well, it kind of goes back and forth, but it's predominantly like we are, we are at the end of a laser beam. When you are consciously in tune with this laser beam, right? Some giant glowing light, like a light bulb, it's a laser beam. When you're in tune with that, then you can sort of tap into what you described earlier as this instant manifestation. Um, not necessarily, meaning that if you're in tune, you can just start manifesting a giant feast of fish like Jesus did. There is some level of not necessarily um, possibility, it's more probability. This kind of ties back into this cone of probability. I'm going to stop sharing my screen to show this dingy old, like it's gotten some stains on it, but that cone of probability, yeah. right? Um, this cone of probability. If you are, or if you are in tune with that, let's say, you know, like you hear like these very gas stories, like, like, like the secret, like if you just think it and blah, 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 you can manifest it to even compound with like what Abraham and Seth and Bashar, the other channel aspects talk about when you are in line and you have this desire and you're receptive of it. Uh, it's almost like, okay. Um, I had made reference earlier to like the fifth dimension, how in the fifth dimension, you are able to see all these probable realities, all these probable timelines. If you are, let's say I am currently um, in this reality where I really want a boat. I really want like a brand new, I want a yacht. I want a brand new spanking yacht. Um, I, don't have the, I don't have the money. I don't have the credit. By all means, where I am, where I am at currently on 3D space, I, the, the yacht is right now not in my cone of probability. Not, not in the near future. Um, this, this is like a really, this is a far reaching hypothetical example, but if I, if, if my higher future self had, if it was in alignment that I was indeed supposed to own a yacht and I was answering, I was like listening to my inner compass and it wasn't my ego, it was my compass saying, yes, Lee, you need a yacht. You need a yacht to go sail the seas. Like this is your, this is your excitement. This, this resonates strongly. And I, I get in tune with that and you get, you get to that high vibrational state all of a sudden it's like connecting to that laser beam and you are sort of shifting from 3d into 5d into a parallel reality where all of a sudden the possibility of getting a yacht becomes so much more probable like some you meet some wealthy rich dude who's like hey you know what uh you meet him at a coffee shop i really like you kid i hate i hate my kids they're all greedy and I'm about to die soon. I'm going to sign you off my will and you're going to inherit my yacht. Like, what the fuck? That sounds ridiculous. But there are stories similar <laughs> to that concept uh, to, to lesser degrees. Um, so in terms of how practically we can use this concept to manifest in the physical reality, it's about lining up and being in tune with that, with that laser self, with, with, the as with, the, with the conscious aspect of you that's in these higher dimensions that could possibly help navigate or, or rearrange where you are at in the dimensional spectrum from 3D to 5D into a parallel reality where that possibility is a lot more probable, a lot more possible. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes tremendous sense. Grayson, uh, your mic had a little feedback, so I muted you during that time. Um, what is coming up for you? Uh, <laughs> Lee, that, that is so, 
succinct. You take this concept of multidimensionality, the, the idea of tuning in, right? We're actually listening in. So our body being a whole bunch of receptors and tuners to frequencies, or our consciousness being the tuner, our, our body and our spirit being the receptors. Yeah. Talk about yeah. that. Your mind is the tuner, but your heart is... Um... Like we all remember, remember our very first conversation, we talked about having a signature frequency. Oh, yes. That unique frequency is that unique hue, not hue, the right, um, I'm, I'm thinking art terms here, color, color gradation. It's, it's, we all like, imagine all of us have a completely unique laser beam, right? A unique color. Your mind is being able to tune in out of that spectrum of, of your unique, but, but your heart your heart is the compass in a way. You're like listening to your heart uh, in conjunction. So your mind wants to manifest this, but you have to use your heart to energetically get into alignment with that signature frequency. We talked earlier about being in and out of alignment. You asked like, what is out of alignment? And I, I use the music analogy. Well, you could, for a very simplistic way, say that in alignment is like you're, you're on the major keys of a piano. Dun, 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 dun. When you're out of alignment, you're on the minor keys, dun, 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 or it sounds a little bit off. It's a little off pitch. Um, so to, to stay in alignment with that, with that laser beam signature frequency that is you and your higher self, it's about tuning into the heart. So what is it about the heart? What is it about the heart? How come it's not our stomach, right? Is mm. there some significance? Is this true with other animals or other creatures as well yeah so when i say the heart um let me type up something on my screen is that the emotional plane is that that second layer uh is that what you're describing it, it, it's our emotional the heart tumor? chakra i'm thinking of the heart chakra um let me share my screen again okay so if you notice the heart is dead center it is from the center point that reality kind of projects, at least, at least in this dimension. Um, there, was, there was a specific reference I had in mind to like discuss more about this, but I, I think the heart, which is the chakra point that we use to tune into the vibration of love. Love is, I know like we can get all philosophical about what love is, but love is a vibration in itself. It is the purest form of consciousness in itself. Something of the Wait, mind, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. So you're saying that the center chakra, the fourth chakra, the middle chakra is actually what is able to tap into our greatest uh, frequency, which is pure love. Yeah. So we have, cause the first three are energy consumers, right? The mm -hmm. heart is kind of that, that bridge, mm -hmm. the root chakra. It's like, we're processing food where, you know, doing all that stuff. It's our reproductive. No, um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not an expert on chakras. So this is, this is a topic I, I feel like I need to do more research before I start talking on, but, uh, uh, okay. I, I think I, I can explain it better in visuals. Let me. And then just as an aside, um, yeah. <laughs> Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza has the most incredible series on the Gaia network. And it's called really? Rewired. 
and it is his best breakdown in 13 episodes, 30 minute episodes. It is his consolidation of everything that he knows. And he's actually been walking through this exact same process and he links all of the chemicals, the frequencies, you know, they study 19 different frequencies in the brain and they go through and they, they talk about, uh, you know, the bell curves of, uh, you know, 90, I think it was 99.6 or 99.7% of people will fit inside this bell curve for the amount of energy that's in their brain. And they've measured people when they get into alignment, right? Tuning in, they're, you know, wearing blindfolds or eyes closed, meditating, and they get 160, 200, they even have people as much as 400 times, um, I forget the, the language, but it's, it's 400 times the, the traditional amount of energy in their brain. And <laughs> it is so oh. fascinating the way that he draws the science. And so he's breaking down. He doesn't call them chakras because of the, you know, all the, the stigmas. But yes, Grayson, please. Um, but he you. talks about the energy centers and how healing can occur. And, and you go into that state of being you know, no body, no thing. And so everything that you're showing me right now is it's super top of mind. I just watched this stuff last night. <laughs> I am super down. Check it out. I really need to get a guy description. That sounds oh, good. It's, it's so consolidated and it is, it is just bink, 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 bink. It is so good. Oh man. Okay. Um, I did find an but image. He's getting, he's getting less, less woo-woo he's getting less out there I like he's making it. it super tangible super relatable for anybody of any kind of religious perspective you know like he's he's bridging the pseudoscience with what he has hard data behind and you know the the chemicals inside our bodies what's happening inside the brain where the energy shows up as we move through these different states and it's all in alignment with what you're describing my friend Ooh, yeah, I need to check it out. I'm, I'm all for more scientific terminology and less woo-woo. <laughs> um, I did find kind of a good picture to sort of explain the concept because I, I was having, I was struggling to find the right word to describe it. But the reason why the heart being a center chakra point is this point of projection. It's because we, at least in this universe, in this reality, we, we live in, a, in an emotional field. What makes us human beings, what makes the human experience so human and whatever is that we, everything is colored by emotion. And the, the emotional point, the point of, of awareness through how you consciously use your emotion or color your emotion does stem from the heart. So the heart in this infographic is, is uh, pointed out as the transmitter of reality, the feeling. When, you, when an event happens, when something is happening to you, especially on this physical realm where objective events are happening, right? Things that are quote unquote out of your control. You still on the very micro level uh, on a plank second scale are able to decide with your free will how this makes you feel and how you choose how an event makes you feel does color the reality, does uh, enable you as a conscience co-creator of this experience to create your experience, to create what's happening in front of you as your own personal experience. So it allows you to own the experience and make it your own unique, your own unique version by choosing how you're gonna paint this reality, how you're gonna project reality through your feeling, which stems from the heart point. Hopefully that kind of makes a bit more sense. Totally, totally. That, that's amazing. We are so freaking blessed that we have these, these sensor 
receivers and transmitters. And oh my goodness, this is, this is incredible. This is what we live with every single day. Like, can we just pause and just think how incredible this is? Like, you could have zero arms, zero legs, and yet you still can uh, fly around, do an astral projection, and you can connect with former people that were on this planet and may not be anymore or may just be a little past where we're at. Like, we are blessed with these bodies. We're blessed with these spirits. We are blessed with these eyes, these noses, these mouths, these ears. Fingers, oh, yes. like, and yeah. so many more senses than that. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, dude. Amen to that. Amen to that. Yeah, um, it's astral projection. It's honestly, it um, like like lucid dreaming. If you, if you are able to, if anyone, you, you guys yourselves or our listeners are able to research it and devote some time into like looking into it and trying it out themselves, just like lucid dreaming and lucid dreaming is what we talked about techniques and tools. There are techniques and tools to begin to have your own experience of the astral projection. Um, I haven't actively done them in a while, so I haven't had an astral projection experience in a while. But when I was like super into it, super passionate, and I had the time and space to do it, I did have uh, two for sure out-of-body experiences, potentially a third, but it was like really short and fuzzy. It's absolutely exhilarating, and it's something I want to tap into more. Um, outside of traveling to different dimensions and talking to potentially deceased ones in the so-called heaven satellite realms, what really interests me is that um, you can talk to consciousness, intelligent consciousness that's not of human in origin. Robert Monroe himself stumbled across some extraterrestrials, um, alien intelligences, much more advanced forms that were able to observe and be aware of us, but wouldn't really interact with us in the physical realm. One of, my, one, of my, one of the most favorite stories out of uh, Robert Monroe's trilogy is one of his out-of-body experiences. He ended up on a spaceship. And on the spaceship he had saw, he, he had seen, there were all these monitors, all these TV-like like TV -like screens all over this place showing different parts of, of life on Earth. And he saw one humanoid-looking entity just there. And the human entity was surprised, like, whoa, what are you doing in my ship? Blah, blah, blah. He started talking to me. He's like, I just saw you. He explains, "Oh well, I'm such and such." Didn't like they, they, don't, they don't really they don't really speak in the words. It's like it's like he, he called them rotes, uh, which is like thought 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 speaking. And he basically said that he comes from a dimension where um, he had learned that the the concept of humor was extremely rare and super unique to humanity, and it was just fascinating really? to him. So what he was doing, he was just collecting human humor on earth he was collecting snippets of what humans thought was funny what humans demonstrated as humor and he was broadcasting it back to his home planet yeah <laughs> i thought that was so, fascinating okay so in the same sense as you know we go back old school tvs and radios right where there's a dial and you're just turning it and there's this micro frequency adjustment but you get an entirely different signal when you're really tuned in, it comes in clear and it's clean and it's rich and it's vibrant, but it's still on that little micro band frequency. So what about our tools that we're currently using, satellites, um, things of that nature, uh, you know, as humans looking for extraterrestrial life, are we just going about it backwards? Like, is this, Probably. An, is this an inside out game? Because yeah. if that guy, that thing, that entity 
was watching Earth because just fascinated by this little human thing and why we laugh and like this humor concept, um, which is I think is really cool, by the way. Thanks. It lights me up. <laughs> and okay, so if he's watching it and he is tuned in to Mushrooms Northwest. It's mushrooms because you asked if it's internal and I held up the mushroom book. Yeah, but first, what are mushrooms yeah. except, uh, you know, facilitators of us unlocking that DMT and that being in the pineal, being our ultimate transducer with there's this gets into rewired. He just talks about this. There's crystals inside of our pineal gland. Yes. Okay. Yes. But you ever think the mushrooms are doing us? <laughs> we are the fruit of the fungi. <laughs> we are the fruit of the fungi. Yeah. Amen. One time I got really high and I was laying down and just like about to go to sleep. And yeah. like from what Paul Stamets claims, fun fungi is 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 the oldest intelligent complex life form on Earth. Like they found like a two point seven billion year old sample or whatever. And yeah. he talks about, well, whoa, you know, there's like panspermia or whatever, that theory that like maybe fungus from a different planet like hit us on a comment that DNA was there and eventually morphed into what it is now. He talked about how mushrooms over time changed uh, like soil composition have, have changed how like they, they basically allow what trees to live and die, which in turn oh, have- I'm sorry to interrupt, but there's like, there's 10 species of fungi for every single living thing on the planet. Like they are, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, Very yeah. Yeah, our, no. our, our mutual friend Jonathan, who's a mushroom yeah. expert, Tyler, spoke about how mushrooms are similar, more close, more closely related to animals than they are to plants. Yeah, um, yeah I, I just had this vision that like we are just complex fungi. You know, we're just we're versions of fungi. Fungi is fungi is the is the whole <laughs> physical reality generator. <laughs> yeah, we walk around and yeah, get our spores everywhere, and then hopefully you know get some fruiting Maybe. bodies. Yeah, that's that's interesting. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely of the mindset that like as much as we think we know and we're having these wonderful conversations with language and mathematics and science, you know, and humor, I, I, I think there are bigger intelligence on this planet than us. And I definitely think a good place to look is exactly what we're talking about. You know, I really think that the idea that human beings are so high up, essentially, I think we really haven't even scratched the surface of what intelligence really is. Yeah, the concept of the human ego and of human being the apex predator on Earth, that to me symbolically is is like the climax of us being cast out of the Garden of Eden. Like yeah. us eating the knowledge Ooh. of fruit and being completely ignorant of our place in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, agreed. And totally. could it be that that fruit that's being mentioned, maybe that was a fruiting body? Maybe that fruiting body... <laughs> grew on yeah. the ground and had neural networks that actually connect all oh, the yeah. life forms that we have, like trees that could live for thousands of years. Oh yeah. yeah. We think we're smart. Okay. How can we die after a hundred years? <laughs> why do we, why did we choose sexual reproduction the way that we did it? I mean, there's, I mean, yeah. Damn Nancy, you crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Stuff, so, right? Um, let's, let's tie this stuff together. How does all yeah. of this interweave? So I feel like we've touched on some really, really big concepts over the last five episodes and, oh. okay. you know, lucid dreaming, is that the first step 
and then astral projection kind of being the second step and then the layers and the levels and the frequency and the clarity and the precision being you know the way that we're tuning up and up and up and up and up yeah think of lucid dreaming as a way to really search internally really search deep into into the subconscious deep into your higher self astral projection allows you to explore the entirety of consciousness as a whole you know mm. astral projection is theorized that the ancient minds the ancient egyptians like if you go if you look at the pyramid of giza you like they discover that there that within there is a king's chamber right right in the center of the pyramid it's and it's a, it's this weird stone box bashar mentions that it's it was a tool based off of sacred geometry as a tool to assist in astral projection that the ancient minds the use of like mushrooms, right? They had, they had the god, they called them the god mushrooms through, through, through their holy mushroom practices. The ancient Egyptians with their, astral, with their astral body practices, they would project themselves into the stars. Supposedly that's how they got such accurate information to chart their whole, their, their precise astronomy and their, and their precise timekeeping is that they actually were able to go out into the cosmos or maybe even interact with intelligent speed, you know, extraterrestrials or angels or whatever other side they, they weren't able to just purely do it off of just speculation they had they, they, they had some ability so astral projection is our birthright it's something that everyone can do it's how we are able to connect to consciousness and to conscious like to conscious other conscious reflections as a whole um, lucid dreaming is how you're able to explore deeper than your own unique signature vibration uh, tying back into the first episode um, I'm, not, I'm not sure like you asked really good questions Tyler keep Keep, keep, keep expounding. Like what, what else? You know, I, these are some, there's some massive concepts and uh, I think Grayson, you're doing such an incredible job of being in the receptive mode right now. Like I can feel the way that you're processing and you're taking things in and you're, you're leaning back because I know that as soon as that floodgates open, you, you have so much, Content and so much inside you to share and so for you to be this patient right now really is it, it's a testament to how clearly lee the legend of lee walks through yeah. this uh you, like you create a linearity within oh. these things that are so tangential and and you know like ethereal and uh or i don't know ethereal is probably the wrong word right but like nebulous and abstract thanks guys and, yeah i mean it's fascinating i i listen to you know like the seth books for example and you know seth is very prescriptive very prescriptive and it's like this very small amount of content that gets covered and it's hyper specific and it's really interesting um i feel like what you have done so well is you've taken all these bits and pieces from these different people, these different books, these different philosophies, these different experiences that you've had and you've woven them together and it feels very congruent. Well, shit. Oh, thanks guys. I, thought, I feel like I've just been diary of the mouth for the past hour. Oh, no, no, Hopefully no. It all made sense. We, we've got pages of notes. No. We got pages up on you. I know. But yeah, I'll shut up for a while. I want to hear you guys uh, comment as well, like what your thoughts and conjectures yeah. or playing devil's advocate, like. Okay. A um, couple things. Tyler's absolutely right. Like he can tell I'm kind of foaming at the mouth because there are some tangents that I just want to go on, but we don't have enough time. So I'm not gonna <laughs> but I will say, yeah, the legend of Lee, man, like 
oh my God, dude, taking all that nebulous thought and honing it in and lassoing it all together. Because that's the thing. I really like going on tangents and that's why I'm sitting up like holding signs and books. I'm like, yeah, because I'm like trying to, I'm trying to add it. I want to add it so bad. But what's so cool about listening to you talk, Lee, and hearing you explain these concepts is the fact that I now like listening to you a couple times. It's like, I now have the trust where I'm like, a lot of times I feel like I have to share stuff and I interrupt, not out of rudeness or I think I'm better. It's that I don't want to lose the idea. Yeah, for and sure. Have, like with based on what you're saying, it's like on the confidence, like you already have like touched on that because you have enough knowledge base and that you're actually, it's going to come around and that turn will come. So that actually allows me to actually be more present and be like part of that. So I guess, mm. thank you, you know, thank that's really, you, man. really, yeah, for sure. It's, 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 it's a, uh, it's a work in progress for me. I'm not used to that style, but um, I dig it, man. It's good. I dig it. I do. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah dude. Yes. Yes. This is, this is incredible. So, um, you know, what, what's coming up for me right now is the, you know, as I think about all the people that I know, right. And, way beyond the Dunbar number, you know, the 150 people that we really have like close ties and connections to and are able to, to track and be aware of. But, you know, just thinking about all the, you know, tens of thousands of people that I've met through time and the various perspectives, the various life experiences, the, the ways of viewing whatever it is, right? These conclusions that have been drawn about what life is what reality is, what my perceptions of reality are, how the world is. Is it happening to me? Is it happening through me? Is it happening for me? Like what? <laughs> I got to Go say, I'm a, I'm a little high on the mushrooms right now and your fucking back screen and your movement, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> pretty cool. Like Lee, it started to hit me. It started to hit me when you had that book and your show. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it had me when uh, Lee was looking through his book and literally like we're looking through a hole and we see the back screen. We don't even see Lee in there because it's just, you know, one color. Oh, man. Grayson, um, I would love to hear. Yeah, Lee, there's some dope spots. Like, what are you doing right now? This is this is incredible. Are you seeing this? <laughs> yeah, see? He's just the head. <laughs> I'm just an electron. I'm part of an atom. <laughs> is that Adam and Hold Eve? On. I gotta screenshot that really quick. <laughs> dude, oh incredible. Legendary. Oh my god, dude. You're 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 more like that. Oh, so Grayson, that. why don't why don't you share with the, us and the listeners here, you know, why is it that you would take uh why would you eat a, a psilocybin, a psilocybe mushroom? Uh, small amount, you know, you call it a micro dose. Yeah. What is it that you are actually like, what is motivating that action? Um, well, a couple things I, I put in the beginning of this practice that I wanted to have open openness and really work on sensitivity. And I find when I take the uh, low dose of um, what we're talking about, when I take that, for me, it definitely relieves a lot of the anxiety and the things that have come through the day and allow, really allows the mind to melt into the practice or into the conversation, what we're talking about. And so I feel that it actually, for me, it makes me more present and it makes me more aware and it, it definitely slows me down. And that is something I wanted to, um, something to do, something to, uh, something I wanted to do while we were here having this conversation, you know, because I, I feel a lot of times 
especially when we, you know, you bring stuff into your personal life, you're, you're coming into the conversation ready to talk, you know, you're coming into the conversation. Like I need to add something. There's some ego in there and I'm really trying to break that down and let that go. So I can really be here and really talk to you guys and really get those messages across, you know, because for me, when I, when I, you know, take these substances, it's, it's not about an escape. It's more about that reality of, what's going on and even if it is like social distancing like we're doing right now i feel that there's still a, a bigger connectivity you know it's something deeper you know it's a deeper it's a deeper uh, uh i guess journey or a mental state um but i don't know i i i guess one word is or two words is just being present it's the key key motivators behind all this and it's i love I'm, it yeah, I think other people might have different outcomes. I just know for me, it, it mellows me out and the software or whatever's in there really, uh, really speaks to me, you know? So yeah, that's, that's my reasoning. Perfectly said, man. Yeah. Like fungi, um, we, we talked earlier about the, uh, the nature, <laughs> about, about the nature of your quote unquote Sorry. plant medicines. Um, so psilocybin contains, uh, psilocybin, its 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 uh, molecular structure is very similar to you know, dimethyltryptamine. You know, we mentioned yeah. this in the previous episode and all that stuff. Uh, I, our one of our one of our dear friends and a facilitator of the medicine talked about her her thoughts on the matter was that all this stuff does the plant medicine everything it just brings in more awareness, which is what yeah. you had perfectly described, Grayson, is that it's a it's a it's a beautiful it's a tool. It's an ally, it's a medicine that just allows us in this dense physical reality tune in to more to more of our awareness. It's already there. It's already there. It's it's a, it's like tuning the frequency. It's like it's like removing the static out of the FM stereo. Right? You know how like when you drive under a, a power lines or a stop sign or, or tra street, street traffic lights when your car and you listen to the FM radio it gets like it goes. That's that's the stressors of the day. That's the bullshit. That's the day to day monotony. And then to, to, to make that, that signal really clear, that radio signal really clear, microdose, you know? Some people take, some people do some meditation. Some people smoke at the ganja. Some, yeah, there's many different ways, different permission slips, right, Tyler, that we can use to get, to get right back to that clear uh, radio station. I like it, permission slips. Oh. It, it is permission slips. You know, it, it's so fascinating. Um, we all have different vices. I mean, after all, our our physiology is oh, taking off your cape. <sighs> it's getting, I was getting hot. <laughs> there he is. Oh man, that's impressive talent. Grayson, this <laughs> one's this one's for you. Oh god. Whoa. That's, oh, there we go. There we go. I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so much it. fun. I don't know why it's so funny. Oh wait, I do. I... <laughs> I think laughter is is some of the uh, best medicine that exists. Amen. Amen. I needed that. Oh, I needed that. Yeah. This is so fun. Yeah. I could see I it it's fascinating what you just brought up around the astral projection being in the spaceship the humanoid um the idea that you know uh humans being so egocentric that you know oh we're the center of the universe oh, oh i guess we're not 
Um, oh, the earth is flat. Oh, I guess it's not. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're the dominant species. A little virus is kicking our ass right now, okay? So <laughs> we, are, uh, we are subservient to larger, um, larger powers, I believe. And I think it's so interesting that, you know, to tune into humor. Like, why is it that, you know, uh, an extraterrestrial, right? If you want to call it just a higher dimensional being, somebody that can move beyond space and time. So, you know, they're, they're not operating as matter. I mean, after all, if matter goes, um, you know, past the speed of light, doesn't it just convert into light? Isn't that the theory? Well, matter is, matter is essentially light. Yeah. Hmm. It's wavelengths and okay, but we don't need to get it. Go ahead. Go for so, it. Go for it. Go for it. You were talking about, God damn it. God damn it. Getting a little high. Go back, go back like 45 seconds, see the exact same thing you were just saying. Not possible. I don't remember what I said. Damn it. It was so good. <laughs> it was so good. I something about so going to the speed of light, matter going to the speed of light, something, before something. That, before that, before that, before that. Well, so the humor, the spaceship, humor. Uh, humor. humanoids. Okay, humor. So really interesting. Oh, man, I've been wanting to talk about humor really quick before we've got to wrap this up. But humor is really interesting because when you hear someone do like an actual, like there's like a ha, 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 and there's like ha, ha, but then there's like the real like laughs that people do and you know they're not faking it. Well, what's really interesting about that is they, people, scientists tend to think, especially with uh, um, evolutionary biologists, like speech pathologists that are along that same discipline, they think that those sounds that we make are basically kind of like our primordial sounds, right? Those, those sounds are basically what we would sound like if we we're in the wild making calls. It was really <laughs> like, because with language, you know, you have tonation and I can make all these sounds and vibrato and all this shit. And we have all these ideas put in our head. And we are shaped by that. But that laughter kind of goes back to this primal state where we're really just, open and we really are ourselves our primal selves but what's interesting about what laughter does even in that most primal self if you think about you know humor and laughter you're relieving tension you could potentially mm -hmm. be stopping wars it is like a higher evolutionary like concept to do something like that to have that sort of relief to have that sort of like an extra step that you can negate all this potential negative scenario Super interesting stuff, man. Mm. Super stuff. So you know I how think the whole war was stopped. Well, maybe you never know. Have a good laugh. You know, I don't know. That, that's exactly what Reagan did. I, I mean, I heard this as hearsay. I wasn't there. But yeah. <laughs> the the theory that I heard is that um, Reagan, and so this is actually from Tony Robbins. He was on a plane going international yeah. with uh, with Mikhail Gorbachev, and it was like, wait a second. So what is it that actually stopped the Cold War? And Gorby just says to him, uh, you know, we just, we just took care of it. And he was like, no, no, no. Like, we're on this plane for hours. I'm going to get the truth. Like, tell me what really happened. And so he paused and he thought. And he looked back and he said, I was interacting with Ron. And we were having this heated argument. Your ideology is wrong. No, your ideology is wrong. I'm right. Right? And so it's just boom, 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 boom. And then Reagan turns around and he walks, like he walks out of the room, he walks back in and he says, hi, I'm Ron. What's your name? 
he saw him as a human and he's like oh my goodness we just see things differently but like the bridges are all there it's all it took it was humor a pattern interrupt tear down this wall (laughs) (laughs) i can't think of that uh that family like that family uh guy clip where like Ronald Reagan's outside of a McDonald's and he's like yelling at the brick wall on the side of the restaurant, Gorbachev, tear down this wall. But he's like senile and he's like, he's just, he's got dementia. <laughs> Dude, that, that sounds great. That's awesome. Uh, good old family guy. So yeah. Long. Well said, Tyler. It's about well, clicking on the human level. I've you. always wished well, that. Uh, isn't that the emotional plane though? Isn't that what we exist on? It's that heart, heart chakra. Level. That is the tuner. That is why. People say, follow your heart. Our hearts have neurons. They actually have intelligence happening inside of them beyond the electromagnetic frequencies, which now also in Rewired, feel free and watch that. It will blow you away. The, the, the amount of science, the amount of data I'm that stoked, has dude. been collected from Dispenza's work. He is bridging the science of spirituality, which is what we're describing. Science really is nothing man. but observation of what already exists, right? That's what you were just defining, Grayson. Like this idea that we have language and we have our different senses, but you know, it, it feels, oh, okay. Instead of projecting, I would like to ask you a question, Grayson. Is that okay? Yes, sir. All right. right. So here. if we, if someone like yourself who is so intellectual can be so left brain, uh, you know, like really focused on high level concepts, big pictures, physics, et cetera, um, high end mathematics. Where and why is it okay for you to say melt? You said your brain kind of melts. You're able to be in the present. How is it that you've given yourself permission to let go of your intellectual powerhouse and actually put it on pause? Because I realize you can read as many books as you want. You can know as many facts as you want, but it's not going to matter if you're not there and you're not present with your audience. And like stand up comedy, you have to feel the crowd. And if you really mm-hmm. want to feel, you have to open up your heart. Amen. So for me mm-hmm. to take that back and to take a breather, whether or not I take, you know, some psychedelics or a meditation or whatnot and find more spirituality, man, like everything, Jesus, everything in my horoscope has been, coming out (laughs) this is crazy but i i find that you can have universal knowledge all you want i'm not i don't think i'm universal knowledge but it's just like the idea is that you can have as much universal knowledge be god or whatever but it doesn't matter if you're not you're not there and you're not feeling what the other people are feeling because we're all one right we're all parts of the same node all parts of the same energy now we can all be the same wavelength and, you know, fluctuate to a higher level together, or we can kind of be discombobulated and throw in different energy at each other. And it's not going to be constructive. And so it's, it's not that I'm letting go of it. It's just the fact that I'm wanting to, in order to share more, I need to let go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Cut. <laughs> Mike. Drop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Care more, yeah, have less, you know, less is more type thing. Lee, what about you? I mean, how, because I mean, I've run into a number of people uh, when I was in high school, my impression of what psychedelics were and what Mm. they would do to you 
mm. was, uh, you know, oh, you take mushrooms, it puts these black spots, these lines that go through your brain. And yeah. those are now dead spots that don't ever come back. And I was like, ah! Propaganda! I, that sounds horrible. And so many people, I think, have um, a stigma that, you know, psychedelics, there's a, there's a huge fear construct around mm. psychedelics in particular, right? These natural things yeah. that exist and grow around us, uh, not like LSD, LSD being manufactured. Um, and I mean, Seth even talks about that, right? How the, the plants are here for us, they all exist. Um, some will kill us, be aware. But <laughs> how does somebody that maybe is stuck in that state, and this ties back to what we were talking about before we hit record, around one of the projects you're supporting and mm. some of the, the psychotherapy, the emotional therapy, um, PTSD treatments, um, things of that nature where psychedelics have been a huge gateway. How does somebody of that high intellect, somebody that has, I don't wanna say a high ego, right? Mm. But like they're very, um, they wanna protect what they've yeah. already captured as opposed to maybe open up through some of these mechanisms to even more? That's a great question. I, you know, obviously human beings are complex, but there's not gonna be like one solid answer for that. Um, one philosophy, and I've come to just to really appreciate and respect this philosophy is everybody will just know in their gut if psychedelics or psychedelic experiences are gonna be in their path or in their life, in their life at all, in this lifetime. Um, I've met several people who I felt could have benefit. I did go through a phase where I was like, oh my God, this is going to change your life. And you just got to do it. It was really pushy. And I, I experienced a lot of resistance. And some people just genuinely, because of like the fragility of their psychology, it would shatter them. There are some people who just, who couldn't handle something like that, where I believe that their whole life intention, you know, bringing back to like a previous episode, Tyler, their intention could be just to experience a very grounded physical life to not play in these other dimensions. They just, it's not meant to be. Fuck with too many things. Other people, maybe other disp disposition who are very intellectual, very left-brained, who uh, would try to like think themselves out of this experience, that falls back onto that single principle that drives all life in this reality. And that is the pain and pleasure principle. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much you try to compartmentalize your heart and your gut, if it's in pain, if you are really depressed, if you have real anxiety, you, you can run around circles around these deeper inner issues intellectually, like try to compartmentalize, compartmentalize, rationalize, rationalize, but your heart knows what the heart wants. It's this very un the mysterious and understandable thing that's just constantly in the background. If you just really tap in and tune into that. Someone who is driven to a point of pain, who's tried all the other routes, who's tried traditional cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy, who's tried the white pills, who's tried, you know, like just, just plain diet and exercise, who still doesn't find success, might, with enough motivation, aka pain, be pushed to the point to take that risk. It's where the, the, the psychedelics are the unknown, and the unknown is scary. We, we are built with a survival mechanism within us. We do not go into the dark because there's predators. That's like a really ancient, prime, you know, primordial instinct within us. Do not go into the unknown because you have no control. You can't protect yourself. Mm. And that's what psychedelia is. You are always going to the great unknown. Now, Grayson, Tyler, I'm sure all three of us can experience, no matter how many fucking times you take a psychedelic, 
you will always be surprised by what's going to happen. There's always this like X factor, right? That's, and that's part of the reason why we do it because it's so exciting. Like, oh, we've, we've gotten past that fear point. But for a lot of people, the great unknown, mm, it's, just, it's just too much. It's just too much. So how, how do you muster enough courage to jump into the unknown? Some people don't have that fear. Some people have intense curiosity. But for those that might be resistant to jumping into that, pain. Pain can push you past fear. And that's typically always the case for a lot of people. So those damn. are my thoughts. Don't know if I'm right. No, damn good. Oh, good. Awesome. It reminds me of uh, one of my favorite quotes by Dan Sullivan. He says, fear is peeing your pants. Courage is doing what you got to do with wet pants. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Amen. You know, I, uh, I had a little, uh, it's kind of a, a micro journey, we'll call it, um, mm. a little bit ago, like a week ago, and yeah. it was amazing. Our episodes have helped me to um, gather a lot of things that were tangential or were like maybe fluttering over here, but like were uncorrelated to something over here, or, you know, it's, it's caused a more cohesive picture, and, and literally, Grace and I heard you saying, I'm on the rocket ship and I, I can't control what's on the outside of that window, but I'm going to enjoy it, man. <laughs> <laughs> the hippocampus is a hell of a thing, man. I'll tell you, oh, fuck. That was at your house, right? Yeah. That's the house when I said that. Uh, no, that was on one of our episodes a little bit ago. I think it was episode two. Yeah, sure. first episode together. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you're on the rock ship. I, that is true. That is true. I had wine. I had wine. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember that. That was a funny. Okay. That was a good episode. So I guess the next the next one we do, I just I'll just drink water. How about that? You started water. out with water. I mean, your <laughs> eyes are definitely telling us that. <laughs> How much did you eat? Oh, I ate probably like these are pretty strong. I probably ate mm, half a stem. Isn't it amazing? The other part of this journey, this process is that I've noticed that I can take a very small, I had a microdose today and it was just a, a little concentrate and I was just vibrating a little bit higher, like a little more consistently vibrating in that creative space and, you know, a little less distracted by what was happening around me and more focused. And so I was actually, I was working, like I was, <laughs> I was on calls and uh, it was amazing it was yep. so good and Why so i noticed that once you open up to something like for me aya it opened up the way that i can experience mushrooms now to where when i i take even small amounts of mushrooms oh, okay. I can so much more easily tap into some of those more visual states those different Man, planes you I know wanna... like our tuning is open and then even more receptive to what shows up and so you don't need a hero dose you could just do these little tiny amounts and yet tap into this this great so unknown it's, this it's literally like you downloaded the program reinstalled some new maybe even potentially hardware and now when you put the software in the software is really working really good because you have all those updates yeah yeah good analogy um, for sure. well you sign me up man i need to yeah ride that rocket yeah man <laughs> It's crazy, man. I, I've been trying to like piece together all my psychedelic experiences and yeah. especially with the ayahuasca work. Um, a lot of it has initially been like 
cleaning of cleaning of the soul. You know, like mm -hmm. working on your issues, working on the trauma, retuning, healing, physical, mental, emotional, all that stuff. But once you get past that that tuning or that cleaning phase, now my journeys as of recently has been a lot more familiar cohesiveness. Like I'm able to tap in and pick up where I left off and like tune into this like weird internet of things, internet of consciousness. It's been a yeah. fucking trip. I, uh, I really want to start growing them myself. I would, uh, yeah, man, I could, yeah, any, um, Lee, I'd like to talk to you more about the stuff off the script. Yes. Yeah, that would be very, very cool indeed. Yes. Or, yeah. Can we stop recording? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Episode five of Earth School. Oh my goodness. Dude, live Woo! Long. Woo! Yes. Bye, everyone. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Closing tones. Closing time. <laughs> May the fifth be Thank with you. you. May the fifth be with you. All right, and we'll catch you on the next one. Please leave any comments below. Talk soon. Love you guys.